Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So one of the things that's kind of coming in an awful lot is a lot of questions kind of coming in about kind of female fat loss. And a lot of things, a lot of myths have kind of come up and a lot of detoxes and a lot of products and supplements and all that kind of thing have kind of come through. And a lot of Q&As and a lot of questions throughout over Christmas and in January. And after we did the first coaches corner episode and thank you so much for the feedback on that guys so we will continue to do that so this episode is with myself and dallas again and we're going to do the biggest kind of female fat loss myths that we see on a regular basis and the feedback that we get from q a's and all that kind of thing i think it's super important that get a pen and paper is what I would recommend. Dallas is going to take over kind of the supplementation side of things. We're going to, we know both this episode is going to go off on tangents. We just know it. We were talking about it beforehand and we're like, yep, let's do that. Yep, let's do that. And what about this? Yep, let's do that. There's so many myths and there's so much, it's so hard to decipher. Uh, So how are you, my man? Ah, Not too bad, not too bad. Any complaints? Got to go out for a nice walk today. Unlike usual, sometimes I only get 5,000 steps, but hey, you know. He's got to keep working it. He's human. I know. Um, yeah. Um, so How I think, huh? How are you managing? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm all good. It's just, I think as long as you have some sort of routine, I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people are struggling with. Yeah. It's just a routine. Like if you, if you know your routine isn't where it was, it's just most so important just to book stuff in with yourself. Like if you looked at our, we share a calendar. We're like a beautiful couple. Uh, so when we have like calls and stuff, we um, we know when we can kind of do these podcasts. We know we can do that thing. So we know we have our day structured. Yeah. And the most important thing, especially if you've been off for a little bit or whatever, make a new routine. If you don't make a new routine, that's going to where the, the struggle is going to gonna happen. Okay. So I think the, the first point of the kind of like the the female fat loss myth that we kind of want to talk about i know this one's close to your heart is the myth about is creatine bad for girls in particular or is creatine bad so be prepared for a rant that's all i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) right so the point of like everyone saying creatine is bad and hair loss yeah nonsense it doesn't do any hair loss for starters but creatine is a wonderful molecule. So it's basically produced from amino acids, right? That's how we do it. And it increases basically our ability to perform, which is a wonderful thing in that sense that it allows energy produ- production so we can train better. We have better power output. We can increase reps, which is a wonderful thing if you're looking to in terms of increasing uh, booty gains or increase you know the way your core looks or whatever it may be it helps get an extra few reps which means that overall you can increase your lean mass which is a wonderful thing then when it comes to say running then we have the increase in running capacity so it's like why would you not want that you can go a little bit quicker you can go a little bit further so it's like more gains to be made but then also when you look at the creatine aspect as well we have a lot of research showing on how there is a boost in cognitive performance, which is like, why would you not want that on a daily basis? Cognitive performance is critical to how you do and kind of function within the world. Then if we look at it in terms of other great benefits, is a reduction in mental fatigue, which is like, that's awesome. Or what about like, then you've got activity, sleep deprivation, increase in mental activity. There's so much that this molecule does in the body that it's insane that people wouldn't 
actually take it on a daily basis. It's like one of those things that you can take and enjoy for the rest of your life and reap the benefits. Now, the one thing that everyone always goes, it's how do I know if it's working? It's one of those things that unless you've been tracking things before, so tracking the training and everything, it'll be hard to know. Just accept it's working. But there are a few things that people do see when they have creatine, a little bit of increase in water weight. For some people, that may be an issue. So if you think about it, if you've got a weight sport and you, you're actually trying to cut weight for a competition or your sport relies heavily on you being a certain weight, um, then that's going to be an issue. That extra water weight could make you a bit sluggish. It could stop you from getting there. So then you can just cycle off it and then reduce your water weight so you don't have these issues. But there are side effects and for some people experience nausea or diarrhea without sufficient water intake or a few bit of intestinal cramps. I know like yourself, you've been through a little bit of that depending on the brand. So it's like these things do occur. But overall, it's like creatine is one of those things that just like vitamin D, pretty much everyone probably should be taking because it's got such a wonderful benefit to overall health and life. It's like, why would you not? It's cheap. It's easy. And you just add it to your essentially a bit of water or juice, whatever you want in the morning. It's like, it's simple, but people don't want to take it in that sense because a lot of the myths behind it, it's, oh, it's bad. It's a steroid. It's not a steroid. It's going to make my hair fall out because of one study. And that one study was bogus because they took the creatine and burnt it. So come on now. Of course, it's going to be carcinogenic if you burn it to charcoal. Like, please. I'm like, you don't walk around eating charcoal, do you? No. And please don't. So it's like in terms of that creatine, everybody should be taking it. Start out with either three to five grams a day. You can load it in the beginning with 20 grams if you really wish. It's up to you. All you're doing is getting to peak concentrations earlier. That's it. In the grand scheme of things, two weeks to get to peak concentration is not that long. I think I summed up a lot of creatine in that, didn't I? <laughs> you did. Um, how do you, any recommendations for people with IBS? Because I think that kind of t- has come in an awful lot on Q&As in the last couple of weeks in particular of how to kind of deal with the IBS side of things. Like I've struggled with it. We were talking about different brands. Are there any brands that you kind of recommend to kind of say if one brand isn't working for you, do you have a go-to brand that you go to? So I would go, so like in terms of it, I would either use like, say, my proteins Creepure. So that's like the best, best of the creatine you can get. So it's used from the actual company that creates it. If that doesn't work for you, you can go down a different route where they basically refine it more. In a sense, what they do is they put it through more refining techniques. And often it makes it a little bit small and easy for people to digest. So you've got like ON that does a triple um, blend or triple kind of, how do I say, makes it finer. So triple refinement um, and ON, so Optin Nutrition do an absolutely wonderful one on that one. There are other creatines on the market in a sense where you can go like creatine HCL, um, which is essentially what they do is they try and add a few things to the creatine to make it supposedly better realistically it doesn't which is the funny part even though they try to claim it does however for some people some of these derivatives actually have a better ability to work in the person because they have less side effects from the ibs time you could potentially also reduce your dose so that it's smaller 
and essentially just wait at a longer period of time to get to that uh, sufficient peak concentration in the muscle. That's one way of doing it. For some people, it's just changing brand. You might get lucky, and that's the key. It's figuring out. Like a lot of people, it it depends, and you need to kind of work with a person. If some people struggle overall with creatine completely with any IBS issues, then there's no harm in taking it out. It's like, that's it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good synopsis of creatine. So the biggest thing is making, like if you are taking and making sure that you're getting adequate enough water. So if you're struggling with your water, I would try to increase that alongside it or just before to try and get that habit or routine. And I think if you're struggling for your water, what's definitely working for TMSWF at the minute is trying to get some water in. Say if you like coffee, try to get some water into you while the coffee is brewing or before you have your caffeine in the morning, just having a pint of water, a glass of water, or else having water with your meals. Because a lot of people, we have this whole thing of, oh, I'm too busy to drink water, which attaches to our identity, which we become our identity and we end up blocking onto that story that we're too busy when it's quite simple to get some water into ourselves. It's just that it's just not your priority. You're being pulled left, right and center by other schedules. And if you can match it when you're having your food, happy, happy days. I think like touching on you, you're saying water day. It's like the use of low calorie kind of juices, like the likes of the zero ones work absolutely wonderful. So if you're struggling to get your water in, I'm like, we have these wonderful things that you can make water taste very nice. Use them. So it's like if you know you're the person who doesn't like the flavor of water, I'm like, you've got fruit you can shove in there and let it sit in there. Some people love that. Or you can just add some flavor there and then it becomes so much easier. Like I'm a person who could drink pretty much three liters of like my body, no problem, because it's nice and sweet. Drinking three liters of water normally, it's a bit like, eh, nah. So it's like find what that method works for you, but also play around with it to see what method works keep on your hydration i would all, i would i would like to say when i haven't drank enough water my mood my energy goes down considerably so it's like it's underrated and if you're if you're struggling with bloating all that kind of thing it's hugely hugely important if you're struggling to go to the bathroom or stools aren't the the proper texture and stuff it's hugely important to increase your hydration if you're feeling dry skin or dried lips that's feedback in that you potentially aren't drinking uh, enough water. I think one of the things that kind of comes up an awful lot is in relation to, we'll talk about, we'll say in the contact of water and you talk about kind of the scales going up Mm -hmm. with the likes of creatine. How do you bring that into with your clients and trying to one, prepare them for that? And two, how do you kind of with you get them to monitor their kind of strength and stuff and working on those kind of non-scale victories first or what way do you kind of incorporate it in? So it's really depending on the client and how they feel about the scale. And I think that's always the one. It's it's wonderful to ask people, how do you feel about the scale? Like I have uh, one of the girls there, she literally just steps on the scale every day and it's no issue to her. She's like, yeah, it's a data point. Cool. You know, that's wonderful. But for some people who have issues stepping on the scale, there are different ways you can play around with it. One of the quick ways of trying to give someone a, a real understanding of what things can change the scale is get them to stand on the scale. And they're like, oh, no, I'm not going to like. And you're like, trust me, we're going to go through a little bit of a, like a trust game here. So the person's like, okay. So they step on the scale and you go, tell me the number on the scale. And whatever number that may be, you're like, perfect. Now I want you to go and go drink a liter and a half of water 
add a bit of salt to it, please. And the person's like, what? Just add a bit of salt just to give you a little bit of a demonstration. And then you go and get them to weigh themselves again. In that space time, in about 20 minutes, their weight has now naturally fluctuated up. And you're like, welcome to water fluctuations and well as use of sodium in the diet and keeping water retained in the body. So now the person has an understanding going, oh, wait, this happens a lot. And then from that point, it becomes a coaching aspect. We go, food does the same thing. Sweat does the same thing. If you sweat a lot, that number can go down. If you don't sweat a lot, it could potentially go up with water. So there's many things that change that. With other people who are still not willing to try and go down that route, then it's like, okay, let's take a look at what other things we can look at. So like we're creating, we're naturally going to put on a bit of water weight, which is fine. It's acceptable. We, we tell them that it's water weight. It's nothing to worry about too much. It's not a reflection on you, but they see now the improvements through training. They see the improvements through how we feel in the day. So it's like we talk a lot about non-scale victories for that reason, because these are wonderful aspects that we can see that what we're doing in the now is changing. How we feel is changing. What we see and perceive is changing. So the use of, say, a supplement that enjoy or like increases our ability to do more reps awesome. That's what we track now. Or the ability to see how we function out the day. So it'd be like, I had terrible sleep, but I've been taking creatine. My sleep's been feeling a bit better. I've got more mood in the morning with the exercise. I'm doing well. And you're like, that's a wonderful thing. And then you can slowly start bringing in a scale going, it's not needed. We don't need to do this. But if you want, step on the scale every two weeks, every four weeks. Because a lot of people want to see change drastically. And you and I have both seen that you can see a lot of change in a person's body, but very little change on the scale. You can see even fluctuations up where the person could be slightly higher, but they're fitting into clothes that they haven't fit into before. So it's like the scale is not something that has to be used weekly. It doesn't have to be used daily. It doesn't even have to be used at all, but it is something that everybody kind of zones in on, if you get me. How do you end up seeing it on your side? As you said, it's very, very client dependent. And I think if someone has been training for years and they're okay with this, then we can kind of bring it in a little bit more. But the most important thing is like the non-scale victories, as I kind of talk about an awful lot with my clients and like the team SWF and I've kind of latched onto that. And I think one terminology that I kind of use an awful lot is if you're going in to buy some clothes, you don't go into buy into a shop when you could go into shops uh, of kind of going in to buy a size 70 kilos you go in to buy a certain size and even then attaching a size isn't necessarily healthy either it's kind of like right do i feel like because there's different styles and like if you went into zara zara is probably going to be a little bit more snug it's going to be a little bit tighter fit but if you went into say pennies or something like that it'll probably be a looser fit a less less kind of figure hugging so it's about trying to find an adapting approach that kind of works for you like I, i kind of if someone has really really struggled with the scales it's important for us to kind of bring in the kind of the, the identity behind it again of saying, right, if you're, if you're going on to step on the scales, pause and say, how do you feel before you step on? And if you're feeling tired or fatigued or on your time in the month or whatever, well, then I probably wouldn't advise it. The water fluctuations that you've spoken about there, that could be the equivalent of, I've had clients go 13 pounds on the times of their month with water weight and it's important to say right if you've had a night out if you've had a bit of alcohol if you've had a takeaway you've had a little bit more salt you've had a little bit more carbohydrates they're not bad we've had a little bit more carbohydrates the kind of the night before it's going to impact on the scales 
yep. due to water retention. So for every one gram of water that you consume, three to four grams of water, sorry, one, one for every one gram of carb, three to four grams of water uh, kind of hold on. So carbs act like a sponge. So carbs are not bad for you, but it's about saying to yourself, why are you looking at the scales as the way of, or the dictator of your happiness? You have to kind of not let this measure your self-worth and say, right, why am I stepping on this? Is this as a metric or is this as the only metric? And using mm-hmm. non-scale victories like your strength, your energy, your PBs and your times when you're running. And I think a lot of people are running now and they're kind of going for couch to 5Ks, all that kind of thing. I'm trying to bring in that rather than saying, right, this scales is uh, is my being on be all and end all and this is my only metric of progress. Like if you're going to step on it and you're going to be upset by it, it's a piece of plastic. Yep. Get rid of it. Like I, I've had clients before smashing out the window and get their kids to throw it out the window or drive over the scales. is kind of like an almost therapeutic side of things. That's a bit drastic. I know what it was. It's kind of like, this is the end. This has been a crutch for so long and we worked really, really hard on it. Just get the scales out of the room. And then I know when lads can struggle with the scales as well. Don't get me wrong, but lads kind of tend to have some sort of balance in that they know rough range of like, right, I'm happier at this kind of size or weight. And then if I go up a little bit heavier, they can reduce their weight a little bit easier just mm-hmm. because of lads can kind of diet for four weeks of the month. So it's a little bit more easier for them or some lads, should I say. Uh, but I think girls need to, we need to educate. And that's what we're trying to do right now with the point of this episode. But you need to educate yourself on that. We should only really diet for kind of, two weeks out of the month like if you're coming up to your week before your week of technically you shouldn't be stepping on the scales it's like if you're already struggling with pms and low mood and energy stepping on is just kind of like poking a bear really yeah and like, and like as well as like t- touching on the catch the 5k it's something that people don't realize that the more cardio you do like you're going to see adaptions right and those adaptions are going to be blood volume so what we mean that is the amount of blood being pushed through your system right? So these adaptions have to occur because if you want to get better at doing that specific task, you're going to need more oxygen to those muscles, period, right? So that's also going to increase uh, or see a fluctuation on the scale. So a lot of people be like, I haven't changed anything in my diet. I eat everything the same, but I've been doing a bunch of running. Why is the scale going going up? And you're going like, well, are you hydrating perfectly correct? Yes, good. Well, welcome to blood volume changing within your body. And that can add the good extra 0.5 to 1 kg extra on the scale. So it's like there's a lot of intricacies that go into fluctuations on the scale. But it's like, once again, there's other things to focus on. And that's the beauty. It's We have so much other things to look at. And it's like reading question behind the question. And one of those aspects, like he made a story and he was just like, you got to be willing to change and accept what's occurring during that time. And he goes, if something is a problem, well, then you now need to have the ability to see that it's a problem and make the sufficient correction in your course to see a better outcome. Yeah. And that's it with the scale. It's you're making a correction now and going, hey, this is not something that's going to hold weight over my life. There are other things that can actually improve me, can make things better in my life. And that's the area I'm going to go down. I think it's also important to say, because I know this is kind of snuck in from some messages that have kind of come in through DMs and Q&As is that if the scales goes down, it's almost like our reward system kind of kicks in. And then if scales goes up, it's 
right, I have to restrict or I it's up anyway, so I might as well just continue eating. Yeah. It's it's important to say and actually pause and say, right, why am I identifying myself with the scales once again? Why am I identifying my willpower kind of comes into that as well. And Joe O'Brien, who's head first zero on Instagram, he did an amazing episode on willpower previously. But it will link in with that. If you're if you're saying that you're going to be good all the time and then the weekend comes along, you're more prone to almost reward yourself for a little bit more food than you step on the scales and whenever you're checking day or whenever you're stepping on the scales and they're like, oh, well, I might as well just start the diet on Monday. Yeah. And that's that that's that 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 can be tiring, frustrating, tiring, anger kind of comes into it. And then you're just in this vicious loop and you don't know where to go. The whole thing of the whole diet, like I say, if it's on a Tuesday and you have a less nutritious meal or you have a takeaway with your kids, why not try to hone in and say, right, I'm being present with my kids with what's going on. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. And almost say, right, I'm going to win the next meal. The yeah. next meal is going to be important rather than saying, right, waiting another six days to counteract what you've done and then letting six days slip. You have a choice in how you react to these things. Yeah. Most people struggle with when things don't go right, we generally go to our lower form of training. We kind of throw out the toys out of the pram generally. Yeah. And that's not me coming from an ivory tower at all. As Dallas has know, when I get tired, I get a little bit antsy. And he's the exact same. Only hasn't got food. He's a little bit antsy. He's like <laughs> a child. And I think it's it's important to recognize that if you have a less nutritious meal, just win the next one. I agree. Some people will say, oh, that's too easy. I'm like, but most people overcomplicate the most simple things in the world. Oh, yeah. Moderation seems to be difficult. Extremes seem to be easy in this fitness industry. And that's why I want to do this podcast is to get rid of the bullshit that is out there. Um, and I think that we've mentioned carbs a few times. <laughs> yeah, that enough said. No, uh, carbs is kind of one of those things that kind of comes in an awful lot and the language around it as yeah. well because people say cheat meal people use the sins language which is used for certain slimming clubs they also use the word of bad food they use well bread is bad for me uh, my the insulin fairies will take away my hair or some shit some bollocks but i think it's important to kind of elaborate on the whole carbohydrate situation and actually tell the truth and there are certain things and certain conditions and stuff where carbs do kind of can curtail and derail, yeah. not derail is the wrong word, but can kind of hinder some people's progress. So yeah, I'm going to let you kind of go on this one. So it's like, first of all, dealing with like carbs, are bad carbs. So not bad food in general is not bad. It's one of those things that we need to step away of labeling things like as a societal way of doing things, we like to categorize things because it makes life easier. You know, we categorize and like, if you look at the kind of start of language on a slight tangent, but if you see the starts of language that, and depending on where people are, there's categories for certain things. They will put say how a fish, um, a deer and a tree could all be categorized in. That's where we get food from. You know, when other cultures will then categorize it into that's a dog, that's a cat, that's this, because that's what we do as um, humans. We categorize things so we can easily communicate with others and we can communicate things to it easily. But when it comes to food, we like to always categorize between good and bad. But there really isn't a good and bad. It's, it's one of those things where 
you can have a takeaway and it's not bad. You can fit that into your week and there'll be no problem on you. You can have chocolate. It's still not bad. You can have carbs and it's not bad. It's understanding that we need some of these things. And sometimes we don't. There are contexts that we should understand. Like carbs is a wonderful thing if we do marathons. Carbs is a wonderful thing if we do an exercise. Carbs in general are absolutely delicious, but they don't increase weight gain. We already know that comes down to a lot of factors. And one of those factors is eating in a surplus. We know that. That's like all the other factors also come down into like where you are in society, what is your income, what type of support you have. A lot of things go into that overeating process, but carbs in a whole will never be bad. Now, as you touched upon, there are times where it could be potentially a little bit dangerous for people, like some people who have diabetes. That's where things could be a little bit issue where, you know, you need to control it in a sense because you can get to the point where you're either going to have low blood sugar, which is never a good thing, or extremely high blood sugar, which is also not a good thing. And it's like that ties into insulin and we're not going down that tangent because <laughs> we'll be doing crazy things with that one. But in general, when it comes down to it, it's like carbs are a wonderful form of energy and your body loves carbs. And when I mean it loves carbs, it loves to use it as energy. It's one of our preferential ways of using food as a way to fuel what we do. And it's, it's trying to understand and break away from that good and bad because there isn't any good and bad. We've determined that as good and bad because we go, oh, look, fast food is bad. But is it really? It's like takeaway doesn't have to be bad. It's got nothing to do. It doesn't change anything in the grand scheme of things. And I know I get a little bit antsy when people always go healthy and bad and what is healthy because what's healthy to you and what's healthy to me is completely different where I can have six meals a day and they're just salad with a bit of chicken breast. And to you, healthy is having two meals a day with a little bit of wine and some aspects. It's healthy in context, but also there is no healthy and bad and carbs are not bad. And this is going into a bit of a tangent, <laughs> but it's in general, carbs are wonderful. They're a source of energy. Use them, enjoy them and stick away from ideologies or terminologies that not only could be mentally problematic in a sense that you pigeonhole yourself in a situation that ends up driving you away from the ability to feel good or actually have an enjoyable life. Because in the end, it's you're here on this planet for a finite amount of time. I know it's more of it to talk about that, but it's why would you restrict yourself to the point where you can't enjoy the food you want? It's like find a way to fit the things you like in. Enjoy chocolate, enjoy ice cream, enjoy carbs and lasagna. Yeah. That's, that's having a moment looking at lasagna. Um, I think it's important to say that with carbohydrates, carbohydrates are not bad. And I think that has to be kept being said. I think a lot of people's potential relationship with carbohydrates is not great because they don't necessarily understand and i've been there dallas has been there that we were talking off air about the stupid stuff that we used to do when we started training i think a lot of people's potential understanding of what carbohydrates function in the body is that it's an energy source in the body but it isn't necessarily the only like there you can do keto if you want would i recommend it probably not for a lot of people because you're you're cutting out a food group and the majority what i try to do with my clients is try to have an inclusive diet rather than a restrictive diet so it generally happens to a lot of people when they first start going on a diet is they cut out carbohydrates they mm. say no i can't have this then when things go don't go a little bit right or they get a little bit frustrated after a sad day at work or a lonely day or they're feeling tired or hungry or whatever or a certain time of the month kind of pops around 
their bodies just look their, their brains kind of ticking like right i'm i need some more fuel i need something else and our quick source of energy into our body is normally some sort of carbohydrate or some sort of sugary food sugar yeah. is not sugar is not bad for you either but generally what happens then you'll spike up your insulin and you'll and your energy levels and you'll you'll crash back down and want more of that food quite quickly and that's yeah. generally where that vicious circle happens so it's about identifying what your general triggers are so if you're finding that you're restricting and then you're trying to introduce them back in, but you're introducing them potentially at times where you're feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. There's a whole system, which Joe talked about headfirst. Zero talked about on his episode. I spoke about it with ESG Fitness um, and Story Gordon, who's that's a really good episode as well. And it's important to identify when you're kind of feeling those feelings. And it's okay, like everyone's struggling right, right now, but it's important to say, right, am I just leaning on these foods because they're there? Am I bored? Most people are, a lot of people are bored right now. They have no real structure. They have no real routine. And that's not me coming from an ivory tower. From working with people on a daily basis, the biggest thing that people are struggling with right now is the barriers are gone. Yeah. They're either working in the kitchen, they're working in their bedroom, and the barriers are gone. If you've got kids and they're running into a wall, that's stressful. And it's about kind of saying to yourself, right, I am going to try and have three regular meals a day with a couple of snacks. Those snacks are not treats. They're not bad foods. They're just food. It's about identifying the food for the food that it is. So rather than saying that a packet of crisps is a treat, it's a packet of crisps. Mm. Rather than saying a chocolate bar is a treat or a bad food or a cheat meal, it's a chocolate bar. Identify the food by its name rather than putting this other label onto it because long-term that can be detrimental to your relationship with your food, yourself, your body, your image, everything. So the whole spectrum of health and mental health and fitness and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people won't go into that. A lot of coaches won't go into that with their clients. I think from some of the feedback that you've had from your clients and I've had from my clients, they're always surprised that it's two lads talking about females. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why are you talking menstrual cycles? And like, well, it's most not one of the most natural things that's going to happen. And it's important. Like it's over 50% of the population have it or should have it. And it's kind of like, that's a different rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> that's a different rabbit hole. But you know what I mean? It's, I think it's important to... Um, it, it's important to talk about all the aspects that encompass health. And it's, it, there's not... Like, if you want to break it into, like, broad categories, it's, like, nutrition, training, and the mental aspect. Like, those are so broad and cover so many aspects in the field and that's what people don't realize it's like a lot of issues arise from the mental aspect it's like why we don't get success is because our own identities we place upon ourselves or the way we see and perceive the world we're, we're not willing to challenge our lens on how we perceive things it's the the notion that we see the world for how it is but it's like no 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 you see the world how you think it is and that's the key there it's you place upon a meaning to things. You place a meaning on how the world is and how it functions, and that meaning you place changes how you do and perceive things. And it's like that mental aspect carries over to the training, it carries over to the nutrition, it carries over to social, what do you interact with other people, and whether you bore to meet or not. And this is what people don't realize, there's triggers. The, the mental aspect plays a big role in everything we do, but it's everything is still intertwined. 
it's the whole string theory, you know, from bringing like physics into this, you know, there's a red string connecting everybody together. We've got to figure out how this red string works. And it's like, that's this aspect. But a lot of people think that it's, I can just crash diet, you know, let me just crash diet. It's going to get me to my end goal quicker. And that's amazing. But then neglect the fact that there are so many other issues that could arrive from it. You know, we, we don't want to accept that by doing a crash diet, that means that we could potentially be a lot hungrier when we stop dieting. We, we don't want to accept that the problems it can now bring up because we believe that if we just do it, that's fine. It's like you've got to understand each method will have its pros, it will have its cons, and you've got to understand these things and work with them and improve along the way to be able to keep doing this and be in a good position coming out of a lot of these things where people just want to go, I want the extreme. Yeah. yeah, and I think it comes back to that whole sentence of like extreme extremes are easy, moderation is quite difficult, and it's important to identify that. I think we we're talking about carbs as well. I think it's important to identify that, say, a lady with PCOS, carbs are a little bit more difficult yeah. to tolerate, and it's very, very girl dependent. And that's the same thing with cycles. Everything, every girl is unique. And I know we had the pleasure chatting with Claire Goodwin uh, on the podcast and she did a uh, research on herself and one of the girls that she works with yeah. and they ate the same food and they identified their blood, they monitored their blood sugars afterwards yes. and Claire's spiked up. Yeah. They both have PCOS by the way. So Claire's spiked up and her colleagues didn't really spike up at all. And then they tried a different food and the other girls spiked up and Claire's didn't. And it was, it was, it, it, so every single girl is so, so different. I think with PCOS, it's not about going full keto. That's not what we're promoting at all. No. But and it's not about finding a perfect macro split either. But what could definitely, definitely help with PCOS is trying to promote a little bit more protein into your diet, trying to concentrate and get a little bit more fats because they're slower releasing in their energy form, but they'll also keep you fuller. It's important to say, right, having a little bit more sympathy. There is a strong link with girls who have PCOS with mental health issues yep. because they don't, and I don't think it's also linked to potentially not really understanding what's happening to their body because I spoke to someone recently and they were 50 odd and they have lived X amount of years with PCOS and they never knew what it was. And mm -hmm. that has driven them scat. They've struggled why they've dieted and now that they've found what the reason was, they've managed to find a, a technique or a, or a useful stream for them to that they found resistance training, which is lifting weights. They managed to get some walks in majority of the time, mm. uh, getting some fruits in, getting some decent protein in and actually being a little bit of kinder to themselves rather than being frustrated and being hard. And I think a lot of people do struggle with that self-empathy thing. I think lads and girls do struggle with it. But I think when we're generally tired and we're potentially having PMS and all that kind of things, um, it's important to kind of start to question some of the things that kind of go on in your head. It's very easy to go into negative mode or have a bad body day and how to work with that. And I have someone, Emma Dowling, uh, is coming on the podcast uh, and she's going to talk about bad, how to deal with bad body days and bad, um, bad body image days and stuff. So I'm, I'm excited for that. But I think one of the things that kind of comes into it is with the whole thing of kind of men and women training the same because I know there's a little bit more testosterone in girls with PCOS and they can have the fun gains. That's the big positive out of it. Testosterone is a male hormone, but they do have estrogen and lads do have estrogen and lads do have testosterone. But I think it's important to I kind of identify like women 
aren't small men. Like it's an amazing quote by Stacey Sims yeah. over in the US. And I think it's important to, this is where we need to kind of go from the very, very basics into what is the difference that happens at different stages for a girl and then identify how, when to push, not when to push. So I'm not sure if you want me to do this. I'm not sure if you want to. Uh, go for it. Like, like you're on a roll here. I'll interject with the training. Okay, the training is uh, Dallas's point. All right, so this could take a while. So it, I just want to identify there are other episodes that have been done on this. So I'm going to give a, a, a sweeping synopsis. So episode 45, I think, is the Female Fat Loss episode. And I was on Dallas's podcast, and there are other episodes that I've been on with Brian Keane and stuff. So there are, there are other podcasts out there if the information isn't enough. Okay, so big deep breath. So the biggest thing to identify is that oh, every single girl is completely, completely different. From working with hundreds of women, every single girl is completely different. There are such conditions kind of like endometriosis, PCOS, and amenorrhea that do come into play, which is a completely different episode. But we need to kind of go into the absolute basics. So this, the cycle can be divided into four main phases. The menstrual phase, the follicular phase, the luteal phase, and the ovulation phase. So we need to kind of go into which one is which. So the menstrual phase is generally the first stage of the cycle. It's also when girls will generally get their period. This is when the egg from the previous cycle isn't fertilized. And since pregnancy hasn't taken place, levels of the hormones estrogen, which is the girl hormone, and progesterone, which it helps to regulate your cycle. Uh, but that main job is to get your uterus ready for pregnancy. So this is generally where you may find symptoms like cramps, tender breasts, bloating, mood swings, irritability, tiredness, lower back pain, all that kind of thing. And that generally happens uh, kind of like around kind of three to seven days. Some women will generally have prolonged periods and it's important to realize that every single girl's cycle is going to be a different range. They normally say like a 28 to 32 day cycle. Girls with PCOS could have a cycle every six weeks. Menorrhea girls will not have a cycle at all. And then as you kind of go perimenopause, there's going to be longer gaps. And then menopause is where there's no cycle for a full year. So follicular phase is starts in the first day of your period. So there is some overlap with kind of the menstrual phase as well. This is when the hypothalamus, which is your one of your hormone regulators, sends a signal to your pituitary gland to release follicular follicle simulating hormone or FSH. Uh, and this can range from 11 to 27 days, depending on your cycle. Then there's the ovulation phase, which lasts for about 24 hours. Uh, so that normally happens after a day, the egg will be, will die or dissolve. And if it isn't fertilized, and this can be see a rise in your kind of body temperature and you may struggle to sleep that kind of around that time as well. Uh, and then there'll be a thicker discharge, uh, kind of like a white egg texture that kind of happens as well. Sorry to be all gruesome. And then there's the luteal phase as well. And this is, if you don't get pregnant, the corpus luteum will shrink away and will be reabsorbed. And this can be kind of during this phase, if you don't get pregnant, you may experience kind of like PMS symptoms like bloating, breast sweating, pain, tenderness, mood ache, food cravings that can happen. And that generally lasts for 11 to 17 days depending. Uh, the average length is around 14 days. So I think some of the, the big things that kind of needs to kind of come into play is the training. And this is where Dallas is kind of going to go through where to push, when to pull, when to sit, when to chill. So we can take things in multiple different ways. And depending on which you ascribe to, you can go through this in a multiple ways. So depending on who you are and if you've trained enough before, you could be a person that essentially could take a reasonably high volume. And when we mean volume, it's basically sets and reps 
uh, multiplied by each other. So if you're looking at it, a high volume would be something like four to five sets increasing up to eight sets of a given movement. That's pretty high volume provided you're going over eight reps, right? So some women have the ability to recover from high volume, some don't. This is women dependent, but there are other things to think about when training. It's usually around your menstruation. It's going to be harder for you to push and make PBs. Like, come on now. What are you truly expecting? Like if you've got um, bad PMS symptoms, like you are you really going to be able to come into the gym and, or even home workouts and give it your all when you're not feeling your best? And that's naturally happening. As menstruation starts to disappear and as it starts getting less and less and less and you get out of that phase, you start getting the ability to start pushing a little bit more and handling a little bit more volume. So you can base your training around your menstruation, which is a wonderful thing to do, and some women do, and others don't. And it's not, it's not a bad thing or a good thing to do either or because you can still just in terms of base it around if this is the week you didn't do anything, cool. Just keep the same numbers if you can from previous week and carry on. But it's the easiest way I find is trying to base a lot of it around the menstrual cycle. So that way the person always knows when she's going to train that menstruation cycle, this is going to be lower weights or lower volume. So be less sets or less reps to do. We're focusing on technique movement. So ensuring technique is carried over and trying to really ensure we're doing as much as we can to improve one other aspect instead of trying to improve progression through sets and reps in that week. And then as they start coming out of that, then we can start going, right, now we can put the volume back in, add the sets in, add the weights back in and start tapering up and then start tapering down again. And you repeat that month on month out with whatever training program you're doing, right? There are specific things some women need to pay focus to. So with training as well, women in general have more of a dysfunction in their SI joint. So your sacroiliac joint which is in your lower back and connects basically your hips to your spine. That aspect often gets a lot of tightness in women or thanks to hypermobility. So the fact that they end up being able to bend or contort themselves to different aspects can lead to a lot of discomfort, pain, and irritability. Most men do not suffer with this. So this means that some form of training has to be focused on either loosening the hips or tightening the surrounding muscles around the joint. So that means your glutes, that means your core, as well as working on hamstring or working on hip flexes. So if you're someone who sits all day, you're going to be extremely tight on the front part of your aspect. So this is where in a woman's side of thing, we would go, right, let's work on more of a quad. So let's work on your kind of small little muscles just under your hip bones. So those would be hip flexes and try and get them strong to try and get you in a position that you're not going to feel pain. A lot of people, or should say a lot of women after pregnancy also start to get pain there in your SI joint. And that's where you would start bringing a lot of this in. So it's like there are a lot of structural differences between women and men, which we have to note. So in terms of doing lateral raises, you mean you can slightly bring it out depending on your body's anatomy. There are a lot of things to play. But in general, when it comes to training, it's base it around the menstrual cycle, which is going to be your easiest thing. Start off slightly light. So work your way up. And always look to do PBs after your menstruation cycle. So push the week after and the following week after when you're feeling your strongest, you're feeling there, you're ready, everything's done. In terms of hormones there, they're going to be high enough for you to go there. So you're going to see an increase of testosterone and use it. And this is, what I could, this is where we can see a lot of gains. 
And that's a wonderful thing. But it's also when it comes to that training, it's understand that it's okay to go lighter when you're not feeling great and you don't always have to seek PBs to get training. And your training doesn't have to be grueling in order to see you progress. And I think that's that's the thing. It's a lot of people's trainings these days is it has to be grueling. Has to, I have to feel crap. I have to feel this way. It's you don't do what's necessary to see improvement and you'll be getting there. And I think it's, I try to make this as simple as possible so everyone doesn't overcomplicate this, but literally start off simple, add a little bit of sets, add a little bit of reps, add a bit of weight. As the weeks go on, taper back when you're not feeling great. Yeah, like there's a lot, there's like, I think the bit that Dallas kind of spoke about there about the the structural differences between men and women has to be taken into account as well. And if you're finding that you're getting kind of like that lower back pain because of the cycle and stuff like that, it's important to kind of potentially work on certain areas to strengthen that up so it doesn't trigger yeah. different areas and stuff like that as well. I think it's also important to say that some girls may also feel a little bit stronger the week before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to say, right, let's try to avoid the hit on the week that you're feeling a little bit more fatigued. And it doesn't say what type of exercise to do on a particular week or the week of. I think it's important just to show up and have some empathy. Like there's some very strong research coming out in relation to kind of yoga and that side of things. I think it's very important just to even go for a walk, be sound to yourself, go for a walk and chill out, get your head sore and get your head playing game because I've never heard anyone coming back from a walk feeling worse off than that when they, when they didn't go uh, try to avoid hit style training because around that week if, if if at all possible your body may not recover every girl is going to be different some girls will be able to push some girls won't be able to at all I think the next thing that we kind of has to come into it is what Dallas is about to say <laughs> well I'm going to hit in with that as well um, one other thing to truly think about training and just want to put it out there central nervous fatigue so it's the amount that the central nervous system, so think about all the inner part of your spinal column, your brain, and everything that branches out of there. The fatigue that's placed on it from working out can accumulate quite high. And what I mean by that is if you are doing light, light exercises, right, and you are doing multiple high repetitions, so up to 20 to 30, and you do two to three sets, and you're climbing on and doing some uh, – Stepmaster, you're doing a whole bunch of jump jacks, you're doing all these things because you're trying to make an hour and a half of low intensity, right? It's going to place a lot of fatigue on your body. Now, you might not realize that, but if you do that day in, day out for five days, you are accumulating a lot of fatigue. And then you wonder why after three weeks, I don't feel like I want to train anymore. I don't want to do the gym anymore. I don't want to do any workouts because you've accumulated so much fatigue. And even though you're doing lightweight, it is still putting a stress on the body. And this is not me saying, hey, look, everyone should lift heavy weight. It's use a myriad of methods and go between the two, but also understand that um, as taking just lightweight the whole time and doing a lot of low impact stuff, as we like to call it, and doing a lot of that throughout the week will add fatigue and potentially can make things worse for you in the long run when it comes to your journey of fitness. Yeah, I think that, that has to take you have you have to listen to your body. Like there's no there's no point in if you're feeling fatigued and there's no point in drilling yourself into the ground with a, like an hour and a half session of cardio or staying on a stairmaster for an hour and a half or doing glue kickbacks, which are 
bloody it's like me owning a hair dryer it's fairly pointless um yeah or all, all the what, what's the what's the one on the stepmaster and then out comes a kick and then yeah that's the one yeah so it was like a kickback and i'm like please stop yeah. doing it or walking sideways oh but it yeah it's my glutes and i was like you're walking up the stairs your glutes are already activated what more do you want yeah so just please don't do that's a different that's a different episode uh <laughs> So I think the next thing we need to talk about is kind of the nutrition around it. And it's all it's on episode 45 and other episodes and stuff as well. But I think it's important to kind of like on your menstruation, it may be an idea. Every girl is different. I have to keep saying this, that um, your appetite may go up this week or your appetite may downregulate this week. So it's very, very dependent. But if you're finding that your appetite goes up this week, you may, and if you're calorie counting, it's so, so important to potentially give yourself a little bit more fuel. It's like going from Dublin to Galway or London to Glasgow on half a tank of petrol. You need to top that up a little bit more just yep. to kind of get through. So if you're on 1600 calories, which is the number I picked out of my head, that's not aimed at anyone, you have to give yourself around another 200 calories is what the research says. So bring it up to 1800 calories per day. But what kind of foods should I eat around that time? It's kind of saying to yourself, right, I'm going to have higher protein. I'm going to have smaller regular meals throughout the day so my blood sugar levels don't spike down and I'm going to want to eat the wall 20 seconds later. It's important to say to yourself, right, I'm going to get some uh, some decent levels of say fruit to help with my cravings mm. I, I would probably aim for like the brown rice option or sweet potato and stuff like that because that's going to sp- hold your blood sugar levels at a steadier rate than kind of going for white carbohydrates there's nothing wrong with them but if you're looking to kind of be in tune with your body i'll probably organize around those trying to aim for getting decent levels of fat the likes of nuts but just be careful on the calorie side of things with those i always give a recommendation with greek yogurt a couple of squares of dark chocolate which has magnesium in it which can help with kind of helping with pms a bit of fiber with like um the likes of chia seeds and flax seeds which is really important to make sure you're going to the bathroom that week so if you're feeling bloated and you're not getting enough water and you're not going to the bathroom regularly you need to go to the bathroom for number two the only way for your body to get rid of the old estrogen is like a snake skin and in order for it to re kind of regenerate is to poo it out and the new one will re will, will come back up that's basically what happens in the most disgusting way i could have envisaged in my head but i think it's important to say to yourself there that's what's going what's going to happen if you're kind of like around the follicular phase which is kind of phase two the shopping list kind of ideas could be the likes of vegetables really high in fiber the likes of probiotics uh, the likes of flax seeds and chia seeds decent levels of protein as well kind of come into it around ovulation then your body temperature can kind of increase as well. So mm-hmm. it's important to say, right, you may be a little bit more tired because around, I think it's around 30% of women around this week tend to struggle with sleep. So right. it's important that you get your bedtime routine to work for you, saying that, right, have a, a cold room rather than a warm room, saying that you may need a hot water bottle for anything like that for like cramps if you want it, but I would highly recommend not having one in your room. Get the phone out of the room. If you are struggling to sleep and you're scrolling on Instagram, you're scrolling on Tinder or whatever it may be, there's nothing else happening in the world right now. This is the ample opportunity for you to make sure you're getting enough sleep. If you're not getting enough sleep, then latch onto effect onto your PMS, your fullness hormones. So generally, if we don't get enough sleep, our fullness hormone down regulates, our hunger hormone increases, and that's when we want to have a little bit more sugary, more carbohydrate-rich foods. And that's generally when kind of things can go a little bit alright. There's nothing wrong with those foods, but we're more prone to kind of pick at those a little bit more because we're not we're not thinking. We're 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 
we're looking for fuel when potentially the fuel is all we need is a little bit more fruit, a little bit more protein. I think it's really important. There's a supplement called Agnes Cactus or Vitex. And you can take this every day for 365 days of the year. But I would, it tastes like creatine. It doesn't taste really like anything. You get in capsule form as well, I think. Have you tried it? Sorry? Have you tried it? No, I, I get feedback. I get, oh, like, I get like, okay, that's new. <laughs> that's new. Yeah, I, I don't try this. Uh, but I think if you're on the, the pill uh, or anything like that, or if you have uh, mental health issues, I wouldn't advise taking it. It's just checking with your doctor just to kind of put that warrant out there before that kind of stuff happens. Um, so the, maybe the week before that you have a little bit more hunger, the, little, the week before and the week of, generally you may need to kind of increase your food. But if you're kind of one of those girls that doesn't really feel hungry the week of and feel bloated, uh, I would encourage you just to kind of like try to have smaller regular meals along the day rather than trying to have a whopper meal in the day. Um, alcohol and caffeine may not be an amazing choice around these kind of weeks either. Sorry to be the the the, the, the buster of a uh, bear of bad news here. Uh, they, they, you're going to be fatigued already. Alcohol is a fatigue, can create fatigue and you're not going to sleep. Caffeine can help, can hinder sleep as well. But everyone will struggle. Everyone will have different dosages of caffeine uh, on that side of things. And I think it's important to kind of bring in, like that's a hell of a lot of information. So please do go back to kind of listen to that as well. Again, and every single, every, it's important to you for you to track your, track your cycle. There's apps like Flow and Clue, and there are other ones that you can bring in, and I would highly recommend to do that. Even old school pen and paper can also be useful. Uh, And I think it's important for you to identify where you can push your sessions so you'll know and save yourself. If you have to do this for, say, two or three months to find some sort of trend, you're better off doing it for two or three months so you can save yourself a lifetime of heartache and not knowing it to push and ha- have a little bit more empathy towards yourself uh, in that side of things. It's going to be a little bit different for girls who are on the pill. So oh, yeah. I'm going to let Dallas kind of talk about the impact on the pill. I know we've had Ashton O'Kelly on, AOK Nutrition, so she did a whole load of episode on this. This That was an incredible episode. And um, like with the pill is... The pill gets an unfair rep. It gets yeah. it gets a fair rep and it gets an unfair rep. It depends on what, what kind of side you have to be able to argue both sides in order to be able to be able to kind of have a proper proper conversation with someone. And if they're if they're ramming down their ideology, it's not a conversation, it's more of an argument. So I think what we need to try and say is is the pill good or bad? And I'm gonna let Dallas argue both sides. <laughs> It depends. So when it comes to a lot of people look at like, say, a pill as a good thing in a sense, and it'd be like, okay, why? So it, it, it does a lot of good things in a sense where like it can help with osteoporosis, which is also a wonderful thing, um, which is a lot of people like, okay, cool. That's cool. But when you look at it, some of the bad things. So when you look, take it and say you taking your pill, if you have history of blood clots, it could be a problem. If you've got a history of stroke or heart attacks, it could also be a problem. Um, for some people, just get unexplained vaginal bleeding. I know it's weird to be saying that, <laughs> but it happens. Um, there is also a kind of issues in terms of where you get some uh, chron- uh, coronary art disease. So it's something you don't want to have. If you've got lupus, you can't be taking it. The possibility of headaches could occur. Nausea could occur. Vomiting could occur. Migraines. It's There is a lot of aspects 
on that side that could potentially be a way to say, no, we don't want to be taking it. But then when we take a look at, say, like the pros of it, it's obviously a convenient method of contraception. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, you end up seeing uh, protection against inflammatory diseases around the pelvic area, um, which is also a good aspect. And if you look at it, it can lead to lighter periods or help regulate certain periods for people. Um, and especially if you're struggling with like a lot of PMS symptoms, that's where that could come in. So if you think about it and you'd be like, okay, cool, it could actually be used to help bring a lighter period. The safe birth control method is another aspect. But then like menstrual cramps where that happens quite a bit. You can look and go like, hey, look, it can decrease my menstrual cramps. And if you're someone who has a lot of issues with menstrual cramps, and like I've worked with clients who've had ridiculous menstrual cramps, that was a reason to start taking the pill then. And it's like, it was a wonderful aspect because it gave them relief for the first time they've ever had. And that was a wonderful thing. It was just like the whole aspect of it just changed because they weren't having terrible menstrual cramps. Then you can look at other parts of the benefits. For some women, it can help reduce acne. For others, it can kind of help with in terms of dryness in the vagina. And, you know, those are most of the benefits and giving you some of the kind of issues with the birth control, kind of giving you a bit of an understanding of both sides. In some people I know, in terms of the pill, I know um, you, I think you've spoken a bit about this, Shane, that it could potentially change your sexual desire or give you a little bit issues with depression for some people if they are likely to it. Now, that is usually thanks to hormonal fluctuation. Summing it up, it's not really good or bad. It's kind of context dependent. Once again, it's like, what do you need? I'm like, if you're an elite athlete and you're going for the Olympics, you don't want your menstruation to occur (laughs) While you're at the Olympics, that's your one shot of bringing home gold, you know? So that's where a pill actually then gets used to help push that out so that they can actually go and perform well. So it's like there are benefits, there are cons. Have I left anything out on the cons? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, with the whole mental health orientation towards things, it is important to make sure to check in with a doctor that knows what they're talking about. Cause I think I've had a few clients that have kind of like we had Una on, who's one of the clients and she didn't have a cycle for a very, very long time. And um, mm-hmm. we're talking say eight to 10 years, which is a very long time without having a cycle. And I think she went to a doctor and the doctor was like, right, here is the pill to sort this out. And, I'll never forget getting that, that, that voice note back straight after. And Una was like, I, I, I'm not doing that. You said this to me before, that that person will say this. And I was like, no, that's not the solution. That was going to cause an artificial bleed. And I think it's important to make sure that, that girls and lads understand that when girls get are on the pill, it's not a real bleed. Yeah. It's really, really important to make sure that you may not have the, it might may not have the intensity that a, formerly once had or you may not have the pms symptoms that you may once had or whatever it may be it depends on the different severities and if you're coming off it well it's important to be working with someone who understands what's happening and the different ones the different how long it can take 
for cycling regularity to come back up, particularly if you're at the age now where you're thinking about having kids and you've potentially been on the on the the pill for a long, long time since you're like 14, 15, 16, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I think that's hugely important. Um in relation no. to Yeah, Karen. Hang on. No, we didn't like one aspect we didn't do it is like um the pill and weight gain. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think yeah, yeah, it's important to kind of go into this as well because the pill may cause weight gain, but it's not necessarily weight gain, it's water weight. So I think it's important to say that it's water weight rather than actual fat gain. But I think well and but what the, what interesting research kind of showed that generally ladies who are uh who are black may suffer from a little bit more weight gain or maybe may their genetics disposition kind of can cause a little bit more weight gain and that side of things but if someone is struggling from a body composition or a kind of weight gain situation that they're not really happy with going on the pill and then kind of stepping on scales it's kind of counterintuitive you have to understand that it may cause a little bit of weight gain water weight emphasis on water weight like like dallas spoke about at the at the beginning that it's understanding that it's important to say we can't blame it for weight gain though the girls who have predispositions to say a little bit overeating who are a little bit heavier and have kind of like a little bit more binge eating and predispositions to those kind of things they tend to have a little bit more weight gain because when we're pumping in a pill into our body for the first time depends on the chemical makeup in but it's artificial um, hormones going into our body, so there's artificial estrogen or progesterone, depending on the makeup. But it's sending you all over the place. You don't, your body doesn't know what's going on. It can, it's going all over the place, and it's a, it's going to take a while for your body to regulate. It's the same time as when you kind of go off it. So I think it's important to understand that you may have a little, you need to have a little bit more sympathy and a little bit more empathy towards yourself either coming off it or going on it that things can go off a little bit and give yourself a body a chance to recover and give your body a chance to adapt to the situation rather than trying to beat yourself up and saying is this normal yeah. it, it may may normal is, i don't like the word normal but you, you know what i'm trying to say it's not may not be the most regular thing but i think if you're coming off it be prepared for the cycle potentially if you've been out for a long long time the cycle may come back quickly the cycle may take six months to a year or whatever like that to come back and be the 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 the, the normal kind of range but it's important to kind of have the the basics in place around those side of things yeah. uh, around that um as exactly. well and like one of the aspects on that, it's dealing with clients in the same aspect. I know you've we've seen a bit of it as well, that if you've been on the pill since you were 15 and you're like 35, 36 and it's your first time coming off, like it's going to take a bit of time, obviously, to get it back. But be prepared that you might experience a lot of PMS symptoms. It might be your first time experiencing a proper menstruation and it's not nice to talk about this in a sense, but you could be getting extremely bad cramps. You could be getting like headaches and nausea you never wish you had. And you're like, oh, the pill seemed like a better idea. And it's like, but you haven't had a proper cycle for so many years. You are going to get some of these negative aspects as we like to call them. And that's okay. It doesn't mean like everything's wrong with you. You know, it's some women do get it. Some women don't. Yeah, it's it, the whole thing of women dependent kind of comes into it. Um, and I know the, the last topic that we're kind of going to talk about in relation to the whole thing of kind of when 
girls diet in particular lads do it too so that's not making a sexist comment and that's i just don't want that to be coming across in the episode is in relation to when girls diet they tend to tend to go to a magic number uh which uh, irritates the life out of me um <laughs> which is a 1200 calorie diet For, like there are if you like i had um i had people on and they've done 1200 calorie diets but that was at the like if they were prepping for a show or anything like that but that was up under supervision of someone who was looking after them as well mm. so 1200 calorie diets are restrictive they're mm. like if someone if so, generally if someone comes to me and said i've been on i'm on a 1200 calorie diet and i'm not losing any weight i generally it's hard to understand that mentally for that person because it, it it wouldn't be happening. We would well, you would be losing weight if you're on twelve hundred calories. Oh yeah. Th- like your body would be losing weight. It's very very low calories, and I think it's important to also advise. I would not advise twelve hundred calories. Um, it's not manageable for a lot of people if they have psychological barriers or issues with food. We just need to move away from that that number that is put out there by the media that this is the diet to go to when your fate, your, your feedback has been before that you've tried the 1200 calorie diet, but yeah, people keep going back to it for that quick fix. Again, mm. we all want that. We all want to look a certain way. We want to feel a certain way yesterday, but a 1200 calorie diet, I would rather have someone at kind of like a maintenance level, which is kind of staying the same calories to kind of, if they were kind of, most people are kind of overeating anyway. Mm. Uh, and if they can bring themselves back to kind of like a normal range, they'll end up losing the weight that without having to go down that, um, down that low. And that was one of the cases with one of the clients who I shared the transformation. She was scared of eating a little bit more. So she yeah. was on, tw- she said she was on 1200 calories. And I wrote that in the write up. And I was like, okay, we're going to recommend 1700 calories. And that's not me saying you have to go on 1700 calories. That's a number in my head. And that was for that person. Yeah. But it's, it was interesting to see like after a couple of weeks, the, the, the weight was dropping, the physique was completely changing. And she's like, how is this happening? Like, this is like almost like witchcraft. And I'm like, no, no, this is you, you weren't eating the 1200 calories. You may have been eating 1200 calories for two days a week. And then the other five days, you're probably eating about two and a half thousand calories. Yeah. And what that, that balance builds up. It's like having money and having that allowance build up, that total of calories builds up and builds up. And over time, that's going to lead on to weight gain. But if you're cutting out food and cutting it out for two days, more often the weekend is where people tend to lose a run of themselves because they said, I've been good for one or two days. And then on the weekend, generally no structure, lack of structure. I'm not saying you have to be chicken and broccoli, Susan, or uh, anything like that, or, on the weekends either but one meal out of 21 meals so if you're aiming for three meals in a in in a a day one meal out of 21 ain't going to derail your progress it may cause a little bit of weight fluctuation but it's going to be water weight it's not going to be fat gain you have to eat a hell of a lot of food to cause even one pound of fat i don't think people realize how much that actually is have you got anything to say in the 1200 calories um yeah like why (laughs) it's it's the funny thing it's just like 
yeah, if you're prepping for a competition or you drastically need to lower calories for a competition, it's, yeah, cool. But for majority of people, they're going to be up at 1.4s, 1.5s, 1.6s, 1.7s. You've got the spectrum above it. And, like, touching on the point where you said about maintenance, a lot of people don't realize that when you go to restrictive diets and everything, you tr- you create a, a, it's like a hormonal cascade through your body. And like a fancy way of saying a lot of hormones change because you've reduced the amount of energy the body has, right? One of those prime ones is adding stress to the body, which is cortisol, and then a down regulation of your thyroid. If you come up to the point where you're at maintenance, right? You're providing your body with a sufficient amount of energy, right? So that means you can lower the overall stress to the body, cortisol lowers down. And if you lower your outside stresses from life and everything and make that better, people's physique start to change. Thyroid function goes up because they're inextricably linked. So now we start noticing that our thyroid is working better. We're feeling better. Mood's going better. We're not having these issues, but we're still eating at maintenance. And we're like, why is our body changing? It's because now you're giving it what it needs. Now you're removing things that hinder your progress. And that's usually what it just takes for a lot of people. It's bringing them back to the maintenance and giving them what they need. And you see this change, but people don't realize that. Yeah. I think it's like, if you're kind of going 1200 calories straight away and then you hit a plateau or you stay the same weight or you hit a a wall with your weight loss, the only way is down. Like you're going to have to go lower than 1200 calories and that's restrictive. So potentially at the beginning, you're better off starting a little bit higher. Mm. And then if you add a range and you're sitting at the same weight for maybe a week or two weeks, not on cycle week, um, then I would potentially move it down by 100 and maybe 150 calories and see how you feel. But it's about finding a range. It's not like at 100, it's not like like 1500 calories, you'll stay the same weight and 1501 calories, you're going to gain weight. It's about finding a range that works for you. So if you're finding that say a range of say 1500 calories to say 1650 or 1700 calories is working for you. Amazing. It's also giving you a little bit more leeway with what you're eating. So potentially you have a bigger meal one of the days, or if you had a, a bigger, heavier day of food in one of the days, mm. it's a, you working towards a balance like your money and you're bringing that into play rather than saying, right, Oh, I've messed up one day. Diet starts Monday and it's the previous Monday and you're waiting seven days to start again. Like that, that's not going to bode very well long-term. And I think that's where people get frustrated that they've, they, they look at social media, they look at certain diets, they get gimmicked into certain, I've been gimmicked by stuff as well. So don't get me wrong. And so is Dallas, but I think it's important. Like if something's selling to you, like a waist trainer or a slim pill or a detox or any of that crap, they're too good to be true. They generally are too good to be true. And I think it's important to like, there's a Latin term or yeah, Latin term, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. It's important for us to have an education and educate yourself and question those people whose whose opinion you value. Do your research before buying. Just don't go for the quick gimmick. It's just not going to end very well for you. And unfortunately, too many people out there are gimps. And they're going to continue doing that because too many people, when they're trying to lose weight, are unfortunately in a in a position where they're not they're not feeling amazing. They're at a lower point, and twelve hundred calories and gimpery is just rife. And I think if you're struggling with any of that side of stuff, please do message us. And I think it's important for 
the likes of this podcast and other podcasts out there and accounts that actually give a crap about their clients and all that kind of thing and if your client if your coach has said giving you a meal plan you're off you're on 1200 calories and you're feeling lethargic and all this kind of stuff i would say to your coach and if your coach isn't willing to explain or explain the reason why then i would i'd question and then if they're not willing to explain it to you why you're on that low they're not allowing you to incorporate the foods you enjoy you're not going to be able to sustain where you're at other things can happen about amenorrhea overexercise, kind of like eating too little for your body uh, in relation to you could lose your cycle if you're over exercising but it's important to question the information that's out there question the people that you potentially have the coach that your relationship and have a relationship with your coach if you're working with someone and if someone has you in low calories and you're feeling sluggish and you're one day on five days off well then it's potentially the right, not the right structure for you um is there anything else you want to add Dallas? summed it up really it, just be a bit of compassionate about what you do understand that it doesn't have to happen yesterday and take your time learn learn the process enjoy the process and kind of improve yourself i think it's all hippie way of saying things it's just accept things and be open to change and don't crash diet for whatever reason like that's probably going to be the best part don't crash diet yeah i think there there is like an like if you have a holiday coming up in eight weeks and you're trying to get in shape for that, by all means do that. But if you're looking for long-term sustainable results, crash diets ain't going to work uh, for you. So. Have a debate on that though. <laughs> yeah, like that's a different episode. I, I spoke to that with Brian Keane on it and I was like, if you're looking for one of those things and then you're probably going to put the weight back on your holiday anyway. Oh, yes. Uh, what was the point? Yeah. So what was the point exactly? So it's not an education thing. Um, so there's so much in this, guys, from like we spoke about carbs are bad, women are not small men, creatine, scales and how to deal with that. Is the pill good or bad? And uh, we also spoke and went on a rant about 1,200 calories. Um, and I think that was it. We spoke a little bit about PMS and nutrition and training, how to fuel yourselves on that side of things. So, guys, we will continue to do these episodes if you guys enjoy it. And I think it's important to kind of like – if you enjoy it, please do leave a review up on iTunes. Keep sharing the stuff up on your stories. And if there's any topics that you feel that myself and Das want you, you want us to talk about, I know there's a few topics came in and we were kind of like sidestepping them because it could be like a 15 hour episode. And uh, if you haven't noticed, we like to talk. Uh, so I think, uh, guys, if you've enjoyed the episode at all, please do tag Das and I up on your story. Please leave a review up on iTunes please keep sharing please keep sharing and we'll continue to do what we're doing so dallas thank you so much for coming on you know more than welcome it's always glad to be on this having the bands with you as always and everybody stay handy see you guys